Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Okay, guys, and literally this time I mean guys, guys, for all the men listening right now, what is the one thing that dwells in each and every one of the 30 trillion cells in your body that defines you as the male of the species? Give you a second or two here to think about it. Okay, maybe you didn't even need that long because it's kind of an easy question, right? It's the Y chromosome, of course. So you'd think that back in 2003, when former President Bill Clinton announced... We are here to celebrate the completion of the first survey of the entire human genome. Without a doubt, this is the most important, most wondrous map ever produced by humankind. Well, you would have thought that Clinton meant the entire human genome. Turns out the map wasn't exactly complete. More than 10% of human DNA was missing from that first map, notably a detailed complete decoding of the Y chromosome, which is kind of odd to me, because when you think about it, the Y is a chromosome in the bodies of 50% of the entire human race. Well, 20 years later, the Y chromosome is finally getting its due. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. The Y is the tiniest human chromosome. It's the short, stubby counterpart to the X chromosome. Adam Phillippe admits it's kind of odd that it hasn't been fully sequenced until now. You wouldn't expect it to because it's the smallest chromosome. So, you know, why would it take the longest to finish the smallest chromosome? Philippi is a senior investigator at the National Human Genome Research Institute at the National Institutes of Health, or NIH. In August of this year, he and his team published a paper in the journal Nature describing the first complete successful sequencing of the Y chromosome. So back to his question, why did it take so long? Well, Philippi says it's something to do with what geneticists call repeats. Repeats are exactly what they sound like. It's a piece of DNA that has a certain sequence, and that sequence is repeated over and over and over, sometimes for millions of bases or characters. And anytime you're putting together a puzzle, figuring out the repeats is always the hardest part because all of the pieces look the same. Okay, so let's lay it out as clearly as possible. First, you have to sequence the DNA or figure out what each piece of the genome says. Then you have to assemble those pieces in the right order. So for the Y chromosome, Philippi's team already knew the sequence. They just needed to figure out how to fit those pieces together. So let's go back to imagining that puzzle he was talking about. Like, say it's an actual puzzle on a table in front of you. Philippi's talking about a ton of pieces that have the same color, like blue for the sky. But those pieces are different shapes, and they only fit together in a certain way. You know they're all blue, and you know they all fit together, but you're not exactly sure how. When the Human Genome Project was initiated and, and completed in the early 2000s, they could only sequence a few hundred bases at a time. So the pieces were much, much smaller 20 years ago, and so small that it was really an impossible problem. So they just shoved all of those blue pieces to the side and left them as a big heap. 
So Philippi's talking about a giant heap of microscopic, tiny blue puzzle pieces. Pretty daunting. But in 2020, the team was using a technology called an assembler. It's basically a machine that can sort through those confusing puzzle pieces. And it looked like the team was on the verge of a breakthrough. We looked at the results on the screen, like a visualization of how well the assembler is doing, and it was putting everything together in a way that we had never seen before. Much more complete, much more continuous, and it was really an aha moment. And we saw that visualization and thought, wow, we can actually do this. And we kind of then took everybody in the lab, all hands on deck. Roughly two years later, they succeeded. Philippi's team had finally cracked the code of the full human Y chromosome, that final missing piece in the complete human genome sequence. And as I mentioned, their findings were just published in the journal Nature in August of 2023. I think what the most important takeaway from this study is, is that we can now do it at all from end to end, you know, from telomere to telomere, as we call it. So what is there to discover across the Y chromosome, between those telomere brackets, as I call them? Well, what could the complete Y chromosome mean for understanding things like cancer risk, male fertility, or biology in general? That's what we want to look at today. And Pila Hallist joins us. She's a research scientist at the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine, and she's taken Philippi's team's research a step further. She's completely sequenced 43 Y chromosomes from men across the world. Pila, welcome to On Point. Hello. So first of all, I would actually like to talk with you, um, before we discuss your research, a little bit more about the fundamental importance of the Y chromosome itself. Like, what are the kinds of things that it determines in human beings? So the most important function of the human Y chromosome is essentially determining the biological, biological gender. So when the human embryo starts developing, if it has the Y chromosome present, it will develop a testis, but if the Y chromosome is not present, the embryo will develop um, an ovary, meaning that um, a girl will be born. Mm. So it, de- it determines um, uh, the, the sex of, uh, of a fetus and, and therefore of a person later on. There are also a lot of sex-linked traits, actually, right, that are dependent on what either is present or not present on the, on the Y chromosome. So many of these traits have not been directly associated with the Y chromosome. We know that there are major differences between males and females in terms of susceptibility to different diseases or or disorders, the frequency, the outcome, but we don't necessarily know that this is driven by the Y chromosome or the composition of the Y chromosome. This still remains to be discovered in many cases because one thing which complicates it is that if we have a biological male and the male has a testis, the testis produces uh, androgens, male sex from, uh, hormones, and they produce testosterone. So the, the composition of hormones between males and we, male and, and females is completely different. Mm-hmm. So it's very different, different, difficult to actually understand how much of these differences are coming specifically from the presence or absence of the Y chromosome and how much is coming from 
differences in, in the hormonal environment in these specific individuals, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so th- thank you for that clarification, because you're speaking about uh, hormonal differences between males and females. We will come back to that in a moment, Pila, but I guess what I was referencing, and I, I apologize for not being as clear as possible, but about... Um, Sex-linked traits such as uh, colorblindness or, I think, uh, hemophilia. I'm digging back to my middle school and high school biology here. That the presence of uh, or the, the the lack or presence of uh, certain genes on the Y chromosome in comparison to the X chromosome can lead men to having certain um, uh, traits or, or factors more often than women. Isn't that right or am I wrong? Okay, it looks like uh, we have dropped her line. She's in Cambridge uh, in the United Kingdom today. So we're going to come back to, to Pila Hallist in just a moment. But also joining us now is Richard Reeves. She's pre- he's president of the American Institute for Boys and Men and author of the book Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It. Richard, welcome to on point. Thank you. Thank you for having me. But you, I think you just misgendered me there. I know. I, I said she and then I corrected it and said he. So I'm so sorry about that. That is perfectly fine. Um, I should just be settled with um, he is a human. He's a human. A male of the species That's who right. joins us today. Um, we will get uh, we will get uh, uh, Pila back on the show in just a moment. Apparently, the line to the UK is obviously not uh, working in our favor. But Richard, I wanted to invite you on the program today, obviously, because the past several years of your career, you have devoted to studying uh, and investigating sort of the 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 plight or the condition of men and boys in this country. So tell me a little bit about just your first thoughts of Okay, well, now we have this sequence. We're going to understand a little bit more of what it means. This sequence of the uh, Y chromosome, um, do you think that's a breakthrough for understanding men more broadly? Well, obviously, at a scientific level, it's important. And I'm very interested, for example, in the fact that some of the receptors that helped with COVID were actually found more on the Y than on the X. And so I think that we might just understand more about some diseases, as you've already alluded to. And I'd be interested to hear, I think you've got Pilar back now. Are there other things we might learn in terms of the different susceptibility just at a biological level? Uh, between men and women uh, from understanding the Y chromosome. So I think there's a broader conversation we might get into around masculinity, how far our genes or even our hormones, as you were just discussing, determine who we are as males and females. But it's a broader question. But I think it's exciting just to to understand the scientific implications of this to start with, and then we can maybe have a better conversation about mm-hmm. the culture of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So we will do that, and I do think we have Pila back, but I'm going to wait. We just have a minute to, before our first mm-hmm. break, so I'm going to actually take advantage of that time. And Richard, ask you, there's always the tension, that nature-nurture tension, right? Do you think that, uh, and we're all actually quite a bit um, enamored with what we think genetics can tell us about human beings. You know, I, Sometimes I think we look to it as an absolutist form of an answer. Are you concerned that um, the more we understand about what's on the why, that that might happen in understanding masculinity more broadly? Yeah, and I think the danger can go two ways. In one way, do you remember the search for the so-called gay gene? Mm-hmm. And the sense of like, if we can just prove this at a biological level, then that will be better. 
my sense is that we've shown that's not true and that there's so much diversity of human experience and human identity that looking for a genetic or even sometimes just a biological explanation for human behavior only takes you so far and it turns out not that far. Yeah. And, uh, and so there isn't an allele or a gene for understanding misogyny for, or Andrew Tate, the for, for an, uh, online influencer. <laughs> there's there's on the no other hand, Andrew Tate think, allele. <laughs> right. Okay. Like, there's no Tate allele. Right? <laughs> I love I'm, that. I'm not a scientist. Thank God but I'm sure. there's no Andrew Tate <laughs> allele. But Richard Reeves, stand by and thank you for, for saving us on this technologically challenged Friday. I was thinking it's been such a long but great week. We're going to sail into the weekend. But no, keeping us on our toes is technology. So we'll be back in a moment. And Pila Hallist will uh, be back with us as well. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we are talking about the Y chromosome. It is the last human chromosome to be fully sequenced, and it just happened or in a, public, in a paper published just this August. I'm joined today by Richard Reeves. He's president of the American Institute for Boys and Men, and Pila Hallist is with us. Knock on wood, on a better line, she's a research scientist at the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine and is first author of a study that sequenced 43 Y chromosomes from men across the world. Now, Pila, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay, good. Thank you so much for your patience um, while we worked out all those technical problems. So I want to go back to the question that um, I was asking you before our line cut off, and that is, again, some Y chromosome basics. I was hoping that you might remind me or correct me about whether things like color blindness, uh, hemophilia, and some other uh, sex-linked diseases or traits um, are uh, exclusive to men because of the Y chromosome. Is that right? Well, to be honest, they are not really caused by by genes on the Y chromosome, as far as we know, but. Because men have one X chromosome, this is why there are so many sex-linked um, diseases. So essentially, they have only one X chromosome left, and the X chromosome contains many different genes which are responsible for many different functions. So if something goes wrong with that last remaining gene copy on the X chromosome, then this is where the issues come from. Females have two X chromosomes, so it kind of one the, the second X chromosome can kind of save. The situation, yes. I'd... Classically, mm-hmm. classically, what we know is that um, some men have very hairy ears, 
And this phenotype has been associated with the Y chromosome. So it has been a textbook example for a long time of a Y chromosome linked trait. But then more recent work has actually shown that this is also not necessarily a Y-linked phenotype. Mm. So mm. again, it, it is actually influenced by other genes in the genome. So in that respect, it's it's quite difficult to pinpoint exact phenotypes which are related to the Y chromosome. Okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense because, of course, everything is much more complicated than you learn uh, in elementary or secondary school. But I guess what I was referring to is is exactly what you were saying, that you know, the X chromosome is so big and so large that um, it can sometimes contain, let's say, what would usually be a recessive gene for something. Uh, and because men don't have another X chromosome, they just have the Y. Uh, if the Y is lacking, um, I guess, a, a the the dominant gene that would have been found on another X chromosome, that recessive trait can be expressed. So that was kind of what I was trying to get to. But let's move on to the decoding, the fully decoding of the Y chromosome now. Can you tell me your opinion about why it took so long, an additional 20 years to do that when it is, in fact, the smallest chromosome in the human genome? So it comes it comes back to the repeat composition of the Y chromosome. So as Adam also mentioned, the Y chromosome is highly repetitive. So if you basically take and sum up all these highly simil- similar repeats in the Y chromosome, you can easily say that 75-80% of the whole chromosome is highly repetitive. And with the, with the old sequencing technologies, which had shorter read length, le- less than 1,000 base pairs, it was just very difficult to piece these sequences back together in the right order and orientation. So now we have reached the point that we can sequence very large fragments. So the novel and quite new long-read sequencing technologies, they can generate sequence fragments which are 20,000 base pairs in size and also more than 100,000 base pairs in size. So if you think about it, it's just... If you have tiny pieces of 1,000 base pairs compared to large pieces of 20,000 or 100,000 pieces uh, in, in length, then of course it completely changes how you can piece things together uh-huh. and how accurately. Uh-huh. So this has been a complete game changer in the genomics. Okay. And of course, with the coming of these long-read sequencing technologies, we also needed new software tools that can actually assemble genomes accurately. and and this is also an ongoing um, effort now, but Adam Philippi's group has done a great job at coming up with these new tools that can actually assemble genomes very, very well and very accurately. Yeah. So is so it sounds like you're saying that there's actually more, there are many more repeats in the Y chromosome than I, I suppose in the X. First of all, is that right? And second of all... Um, is the fact of the just the existence of the high number of repeats significant in understanding the what the Y chromosome does? So the X chromosome definitely contains a lot less repeats. And actually the Y chromosome in the human genome is by far the most repeat-rich chromosome. So it's in its own, it's a completely different genetic entity, I guess you could say so, because it's so different in the sequence uh, composition and repeat composition. 
And so can you can you tell me if that's significant in terms of understanding perhaps um, you know the the greater influence that the Y chromosome has on male biology or not? I mean, is it maybe too early to even ask that question? I would say it's even a bit too early. So for a long time, people thought that these kinds of repetitive regions were essentially junk and they did nothing. But I think that unless we look, we don't really know. So we know by now that in the human genome, there are repetitive regions which do have important functions and they do influence um, traits and and, uh, disease outcomes and all sorts of things. But with the Y chromosome, essentially large parts, more than half of the Y chromosome sequence was missing until now from the reference genome. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We, we have not been able to study it. Maybe it does something, maybe it, does not, maybe it doesn't do anything, but we just haven't been able to look into it properly. Yeah, I've never, I have to say, I've never understood why there may be such large chunks of the genome that are, let me put it this way, um, empty of meaning to us right now? Because it's hard for me to imagine that any set of base pairs after billions of years of evolution wouldn't have some kind of purpose. Um, But it's very, it's interesting to me that we can't quite yet figure out um, what the supposedly junk parts of the genome do. But, but Pila, so, and Richard, I promise I'll get back to you here. Feel free to jump in anytime with a question if you have one. But I just wanted to get a little bit more of the science laid out before us. So, Pila, you then went ahead and actually sequenced 43 Y chromosomes from men across the world, different continents, different races, etc. What was revealed to you uh, uh, with the additional sequencing of so many more um, Y chromosomes from different kinds of men? So what surprised me the most was essentially the high level of size and structural variation. We know quite a lot about the Y chromosome, despite the fact that the reference was incomplete from studies which were made in 80s, 90s, even 70s. So, for example, we do know that the size varies. But but what was very surprising to me was we only sequenced 43 Y chromosomes, and yet we saw such a huge range of variation. So just the size of the Y chromosome among a relatively small sample size, let's be honest, ranged from 45 million base pairs to 85 million base pairs. And maybe even more interestingly, roughly quarter of the whole Y chromosome composition, especially in the regions which contain genes, important genes for testicular um, functions, spermatogenesis, they basically flip in orientation. And they also contain additional large-scale structural variations. So some of these variations we knew about, but what we now have accomplished is really the base per level um, understanding of these regions, the base per level representation. So this now gives us the possibility to to go a step further and, and try to understand, okay, if we see this sort of variation, what does it do? Again, maybe it does nothing, but I'm pretty sure it does something. Oh yeah, of yes, I would. Uh, I'd stake money on that right now, Pila. But let me go back to something you said. So you said that in the 43 Y chromosomes that you studied, you found a very, very powerful fundamental variation in the sheer number of base pairs, from 40 million 
to 80 million. So some of these Y chromosomes had double the number of base pairs. That seems amazing to me. I mean, do we see the same uh, variability in the number of base, pa- base pairs in X chromosomes? No, absolutely not. The X chromosome is, of course, much larger. It's roughly 150 million base pairs in size. And of course, there are repetitive regions which vary in size between individuals, but nothing to that extent. And this is also true for the other human chromosomes. None of the human chromosomes vary in size to such extent. Just the Y. Just the Y. That's kind of mind-blowing. Okay, again, this is so new that I don't expect you to have answers. But then what are some of the questions that are raised in your mind from the sheer fact of this base pair variability in the Y chromosome? What else would you like to learn about the what those that variability means? So there are many questions. I think the main question I would like to focus on is what does this variation do? Does it do anything? Because as I mentioned, even in the regions which do contain genes that code proteins, which are, for example, important in spermatogenesis, we see extensive variation in the sequence composition. Many of these regions are, are in different orientation. We have copy number variations You know, some in some men, some regions have more copies than in others. So there are so many different questions that we could be asking. So as I mentioned as well before, we knew about many of these structural variants, but now that we have the sequence resolution, I really do believe that this will help to explain at least some of these variable phenotypes that we see as well. So maybe if we see kind of the similar structure across different men, but maybe the exact breakpoint where something happened is actually different. But we didn't know this before. We couldn't we couldn't determine it before because we didn't have the full sequence, but we can do it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Pila, stand by for just a moment because, Richard, you've been listening very patiently, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope you can forgive me just nerding out on some of the details here mm-hmm. of, of Pila's research. But I don't know if you have any response or reaction to what she's been sharing so far. Well, it's it's fascinating. I mean, there, of course, in some ways, this this can just make for great copy or great jokes, right? What we're hearing is that the male chromosome is short, repetitive, and a bit confused. Um, and and we hear scientists like Pilar saying, "Does it do anything?" And, and so, and you actually in in science fiction, there's like the Y, the last man. There's this sense that maybe the Y will disappear and so on too. So, um, and and that's one reaction. I, I think. Uh, at a more serious level, though, I am very interested in understanding how it interacts with things like hormone expression, which in turn interacts with behavior. I have a question for, for maybe Pilar can help with this. One of the things that we've struggled to understand is the huge difference in mortality rates from COVID-19, for example. And, and as far as my science takes me, which is not very far, it looks like there's something about the expression of ACE2 receptors on so I'm nerding out now, but on the Y, much more so than on the X. And so could it be that even something like the much higher death rate, so in the US, for example, twice as many middle-aged men died from COVID as middle-aged women, and globally there was at least a 50% higher risk of death. Pilar, is that something that that we would hope to understand some of the differences in uh, the responses to diseases as well from understanding the chromosomes better? I do think so, yes. So, for example, in there was a paper recently in June, published in Nature as well, which showed that the loss of Y chromosome makes a huge difference how invasive 
is bladder cancer in men who have lost the Y chromosome. Hmm. And also the loss of the Y chromosome, specifically in the tumor tissue, made these tumors much more prone to a specific treatment. So I think like these sorts of studies are now coming up more and more, showing that there is something on the Y chromosome that is also impacting immune responses, cancer development, mm. all mm. these kinds of things. So I think we just need to dig deeper and, and really try to understand what is the difference. I think there is something on the Y chromosome. Many studies have shown that, for example, the loss of the Y chromosome in men, it makes a huge difference in even life expectancy, risk for different cancers, Alzheimer's disease. Wow. So let somehow me, something on the Y is important. Pila, let me just step in here for just a moment and say, I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is on point. Can you um, explain briefly what, what you mean by the loss of the Y chromosome? I'm a little confused by that. So it has been known for quite some time now, decades, that aging men lose the Y chromosome in the white blood cells. And this loss of white blood, loss of white chromosome in the blood cells has been associated with many different risk factors, uh, lower life expectancy, as I mentioned. So again, we don't really understand it very well. And it is definitely impacted by um, environmental factors as well. So for example, we know that men who smoke, they have a higher risk of losing the Y chromosome. And therefore, they're also at a higher risk of all these other increased risks of cancer and, and Alzheimer's disease. Oh, Pila, but when you mean so when they lose the white blood cells in the Y, uh, sorry, when they lose the Y chromosomes in the white blood cells, you mean like the Y chromosome actually just physically is not there in white blood cells? from men Yes. After? Really? How does that happen? Well, I mean, I guess it happens during the cell division so that the Y chromosome is just lost. I mean, if you, if you think about it, it doesn't necessarily have very important roles in the viability of a human being, I guess. I mean, once it determines the gender, I mean, the individuals can, can well survive without the Y chromosome. Wow. So it's not strictly necessary, but clearly there is something on the Y chromosome that is making it important. Okay. But Re now that we have the full sequences, maybe we can also understand it better. What, what is it exactly that is making the Y chromosome important? Richard, are you looking down at your hands or arms right now I, and wondering what's I, in your white blood cells at the moment? I'm, I, am, I am literally on another screen booking a blood test. Are you uh, this is getting a more, no, <laughs> more depressed by the moment. Oh, no. right, wait, these things can disappear, but but it's also I think it's also important. Like, is not just in, at the beginning, right? It's, it's also in adolescence. I think. Yeah. I think some of the interactions with hormones and environment. And so, what's interesting about this is the more I think the more we learn about biology, the more important we realize the environment is. Yeah. And how it makes culture and environment more important, not less important, as we understand how they interact with biology. So there's no like magic gene answer. No. And instead, what we learn is that actually how how we interact in the world becomes more important yeah. the more we understand about well, biology. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about biology when we come back, but then return to that uh, interaction question, too. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.
The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we are engaging in a fascinating conversation about the Y chromosome. It's the smallest chromosome in the human genome, and it was only recently fully sequenced. So I'm joined today by Pila Hallist. She is a research scientist at the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine. She's the author, first author of a study that completely sequenced 43 Y chromosomes from men across the world and found some remarkable things about diversity within the Y itself. Richard Reeves joins us as well. He's president of the American Institute for Boys and Men, and he's with us to sort of talk more broadly about the implications of biology and environment when it comes to understanding um, men and the male condition at any age. But I want to now bring in Dr. Stephen Leslie. He's with us from Omaha, Nebraska, and he's associate professor of urology at the Creighton University School of Medicine. Dr. Leslie, my uh, deep appreciation for your patience and welcome to On Point. Thank you, and hello, Meg. So, uh, first of all, as a urologist, what? give me one or two of the big questions that you would like to ask that uh, understanding the Y chromosome might uh, help answer. Well, how soon can we find out how to turn on or turn off some of these genes that will actually make a difference in human health and particularly male infertility? Okay, so why male infertility in particular? First, that's the main function of the Y chromosome, to create the testes and to determine male physical characteristics as well as healthy uh, sperm. The sperm counts among men worldwide has been declining steadily, and I'm afraid I'm going to make Richard even more depressed. Uh, in 1940, the average sperm count was over 110 million sperm per milliliter. In the 1990s, this dropped to 66 million. In 2018, it was around 50 million, and currently we consider the normal average to be anything over 40. Uh, if this continues, eventually we're not going to have a viable amount, number of sperm to continue procreating the human race. I have read those similar numbers before. We actually have done several shows about the reduction, the dramatic reduction in male fertility worldwide. I, I want to emphasize that. But, Dr. Leslie, what confuses me about this rapid decline is that I didn't think that evolution works on that kind of very tight timeline. Certainly there has to be some kind of environmental piece to this that would that would so quickly be if we're presuming that there's something being turned off and on in the Y chromosome, it, you know, it can't just be evolution. Is there, is there something we're doing to our environment that's having an impact on uh, chromosomal activity in, in men now? Well, we're not absolutely sure, but the overwhelming evidence is that exposure to more and more environmental chemicals and toxins, uh, pollution, uh, particularly pesticides, poor diet, uh, COVID-19 didn't help. Uh, obesity tends to affect hormone uh, production and has an effect. Smoking uh, damages the most rapidly reproducing cells, and the cells that make sperm are the fastest growing in the body. 
and again, Richard's not going to like this either, we now have vastly improved medical care worldwide compared to what we had 50 or 100 years ago. And as wonderful as that is, it's allowing more men with marginal health and borderline genetics and really poor sperm uh, production to reproduce. We have uh, assisted reproductive techniques where we use a lot of high-tech microscopes and inject sperm into eggs and then reimplant them in ladies and all sorts of other fancy things. Where in the past, those people who had very marginal sperm counts just could not uh, procreate. Now they're able to, and that just uh, allows marginal genes to remain in the population. And marginal genes don't produce good sperm. Hmm. Uh, the... My my, I'm going to come back to this in a second because thinking about uh, the Y chromosome and uh, the human race more broadly has happened before in the past, and I, and I, I promise to come back to that. Um, but Pila, first of all, actually, let me turn to you because what Dr. Leslie is talking about is: you know, is it plausible that we would, if we don't already know, we would determine where in the Y chromosome these the genes for you know activating or deactivating spermatogenesis? happen and that, that perhaps we could you know, we could tweak those genes to keep them on even in the face of environmental assaults to the Y chromosome, Pila? I guess it's not impossible, but it will be a long path and a lot of work. I mean, especially if we want to use these kinds of therapies on human beings, it will be, it, it will definitely need a lot of work and a lot of time to make sure that we are not messing something else up while trying to solve one issue and then maybe we will cause 10 others. Mm. Well, Richard, since uh, Dr. Leslie mentioned your name quite often, <laughs> um, mm. your your response to his, <laughs> you know, his, his actually pointed and data-based concern about male fertility. Well, first of all, I, always, I need to go. I've got eight medical tests that I need to go and schedule like for, immediately. Um, but more seriously, uh, this this question about declining male fertility is an interesting one, and it's sometimes wrapped up into this whole debate about the you know the decline of men. Do we need men, etc.? But when I've looked at the evidence, and I want to ask Stephen this, um, I've always thought it's a bit overstated because even though there's been a big drop and you have dramatic numbers like the ones you just shared, the truth is you just don't need that many. Uh, and so, you, what is it, 66 million or something, but you just don't need that many. And so there's still, there's no reason to panic. Uh, and there's also no reason to assume the line will keep going down. And so I've come away from that evidence much less concerned than, than you sound. And so what do you make of the argument that actually, sure, that we've got many fewer, but we've still got millions more than we need? Well, that's true. That In true? theory, you Yes, but uh, I mean, in theory, you only really need one, assuming that sperm right. is really healthy and chooses the right fallopian tube to use. Uh, in in practice, uh, what we find is anything less than 20 million per ml is really iffy. So as long as we're above that kind of red line threshold, we're probably okay. But since we don't know for sure what the what the cause is, and we're no further along in correcting it, uh, I have no reason to think that the trend will not continue. And the factors I mentioned, pollution, pesticide, chemical exposure, uh, maintaining a population pool of poorer and poorer genes overall, paradoxically through better medical care. I don't see anything changing that. And therefore, I'm not quite as optimistic as you are. I'm a little okay. concerned that we need to pay attention to this. So the precautionary principle would suggest better to act now and get ahead of what could potentially be 
a very bad outcome, i.e. the end of the human race, rather than say, well, we're fine for now. You would say, look, let's try and get ahead of it, figure out what's going on before we get close to that, that threshold. Well, I don't see anyone arguing in favor of obesity and smoking and poor health and more and more pollution or pesticides. Uh, we should do a better job in taking care of it now. And what I see happening is that uh, little by little, fewer and fewer men will have sufficient normal sperm counts with enough healthy sperm uh, to, have no, to have reasonable or normal fertility. And more and more males in the population will either need assisted reproductive techniques or just give up and not uh, have children at all. Hmm. It's going to happen little by little and incrementally, I think. Well, it does sound, though, uh, that, Dr. Leslie, you're you're seeing the, the finally the full sequencing of the Y chromosome as the first significant step that could potentially lead to a breakthrough in uh, answering some of these questions about male fertility. Absolutely. Uh, we, we already know about these environmental factors and the other things I mentioned. Now that we know what the gene sequence is in the Y chromosome, we also know that uh, since it's passed down from father to son and father to son and so on, that it does undergo relatively few mutations. If we can figure out how to stabilize or make it, or make it more stable, perhaps it can slow the decline in the sperm count or maybe even reverse it. Mm. Uh, we know how to turn on specific uh, areas in genes and turn them off, uh, promote or stop enzymes. We're just at the beginning of that. And I'm hopeful that sometime in the future we'll be able to fix borderline spermatogenic problems if we can fix the Y chromosome th uh, issue that is causing it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Stephen Leslie, Associate Professor of Urology at the Creighton University School of Medicine, with us from Omaha, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're quite welcome. And Pila Hollist, Research Scientist at the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine, who studied the full genome of 43 different Y chromosomes from across the world. Pila, thank you so much for your research and for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Richard, I actually wanted to spend the last few minutes of the show with you because we could, of course, have spent the entire time talking about um, the genomic reality now in terms of better understanding the Y chromosome and sci the scientific future. But I think we need to get back to what you were saying earlier about the question of biology and environment and how those things actually work together to produce this thing called masculinity, at various mm. ages that we're still trying, you know, that we're, we should care more about and, and think more clearly about. Because I do, well, as much as I love science, I practice a little bit of caution in being um, sort of a, a genetic determinist, right? Because in the past, we've right. looked to the Y chromosome as being, even before we had came anywhere close to sequencing it, I mean, a, a century ago, right, people were talking about um, super males, if they had two Y chromosomes, that that might have led them to be more violent, for example. There was no proof to that whatsoever. Um, so do you, do you worry that there may be some, maybe not in the scientific community, but those of us outside of it who are trying to interpret the findings, a yearning to say, well, we can under, understand these aspects of masculinity because of what we find on the Y? Yeah, I think there's a real human need to try and find like the answer to various things and just explain it. And if there are science, you know, sciencey words that you can use. And I think it's true for genetics. And I mentioned earlier that the, the hunt for the so-called gay gene, but it's also true of things like hormones 
uh, we, so testosterone androgens are triggered by the chromosome. Well, what does that mean? And clearly that has an effect on behavior. But it's also clear that culture and environment interact with, with those differences in biology in ways that make culture more important. So uh, understanding biology, even understanding something like the role of hormones, doesn't make culture less important. It makes it more important. So for example, if, if as a result of the testosterone and androgen production that comes from the Y chromosome, men are have more potential for physical aggression, which is true, that doesn't mean that men are physically aggressive uh, look at what's happened in the last you know few decades look at one country compared to another country right mm. the the levels of male aggression vary significantly and so actually the thing is that if you're like a more of a men's rights person and you're looking for a genetic explanation for like male superiority the more we learn about the y chromosome the weaker that argument gets right it's it, it's it's not the super chromosome it's if anything a little bit of a weakling chromosome mm -hmm. and that can be used on the other side to sort of be eye-rollingly dismissive of men and the, the truth is that we're just all a little bit sometimes entranced by the the possibility of a biological explanation and whilst i think it's a mistake not to understand the biological roots of human behavior it is also a mistake to overweight it Mm -hmm. right to think that that's the, the allele for whatever when it comes to things like behavior so the difference between maleness as a biological condition and what that means for say testicular cancer or fertility or some of the things that we heard that's important but masculinity is and always has been much more of a social construction much more of a cultural construction varying over time and place and it's super interesting to me actually that there's a lot there's more variation on the y than right. on the x i mean i thought wasn't that wasn't that interesting the totally fascinating I mean, like, uh, no one really knows why, but but it, look, uh, by way of analogy rather than causality, I would say, well, in a way, that's sort of a hopeful finding because what it suggests is that maybe there's also lots of variability in masculinity and that it's not fixed either in time or place or fixed in some way deep, deep, deep within our DNA without denying the fact that there are some differences. So mm. I really... I love I love this way of talking about it, the way you've just been talking about it for the last the last you know hour or so, which is, look, biology matters, understanding it matters, health matters for everybody, men and women, but also when it comes to sort of the social questions, you know, of, of women and men and how we behave and you know who should be president and who can be nurses, there's there's not that we're not going to find that. Yeah. On a DNA map. Yeah. Right? So, so not overweighting the importance of genetics is is critical here. But I'd also say not underweighting it uh, is important because you know I, I the so many chapters of your book put together you know the research that shows that for example in early education when you came on the show we talked mm -hmm. about this a lot mm, that there is yes. kind of um, on average right there'll always be outliers on either side of of a curve but on average. Um, you know, boys in K through five, uh, they learn at different rates and different subjects than than the girls do. And so, maybe you know, you've advocated like taking a another look at what's expected of kids uh, in in early education, especially of boys, or maybe changing the thinking uh, around how to best educate mm -hmm. boys. When you have that kind of on average difference, it, it can't exclusively right, be environment, right? That we, I, th I still think we have sure. to understand the, the, uh, the genetic part played here. I agree. And the, the understandable fear of, of looking at biology, looking at these differences in biology that are related to behavior, is that it will be used in some way to discriminate against a certain group, mm -hmm. and of course, historically, against women. And so, actually, we've had this, this understandable fear that we're going to, in some way, treat females 
like defective males. And it took quite a long time to make sure that women were even included in clinical trials of drugs, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's equally important that we don't make the opposite mistake of saying men are defective females uh, and sort of what's different about. So what we what we want is a way of thinking about this from every level, from the, the very biological roots of our existence, DNA, up to what's happening in society, which is cognizant of these on average differences without being trapped by them. They can become traps and they can become excuses for discrimination. And so I think for a lot of people, they're understandably wary <laughs> of anything that explains anything by biology because of how it's been used historically. But we're not there anymore. And it's very important that we're able to have a good faith conversation about yeah. the actual evidence and not treat, just because boys are different to girls, say, in, in at the age of five, or men have some differences to women at the age of 50. And we've just heard a lot about those. Um, it doesn't mean one's better than the other. It just means we are different. And can we be, can we have equality without androgyny? That's the test, I think, in front of us. And this science should help us in that course. Yeah. I will say also that it is quite exciting to see if, as research progresses, we do find why associated reasons for, um, you know, the, the health differences that we were talking about uh, that men do face, especially yeah. in later age. So Richard Reeves, yeah. president of the American Institute for Boys and Men and author of Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It. Thank you so very much for coming back to the show, Richard. Thank you for having me on. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti. This is On Point.